0: a series that we're kicking off today called God of the Underdogs. Excited about this series. We're going to be looking at all types of underdogs throughout this series. And I believe all of us love an underdog story. We love the underdog stories and watching people overcome different obstacles in life and and man, I, I think about Rudy. We have next week going to be an exciting week to have Rudy here. He's an underdog and a movie on his life. Unbelievable. And he's going to be here live sharing, and I'm going to interview him. He's going to share his story. We do this to give you an opportunity to invite friends and family, co workers. Folks that don't normally go to church, and they would come to hear somebody like Rudy share their story. He's a believer. He's he uh, believes in the gospel and the power of Christ. He's going to share his story, and you can see their life transformed. So, man, I encourage you to invite as many folks as possible. You'll help us out as well if you can attend the one o'clock just to free up seats and space in kids' area so we can see lives change next week as well. But Rudy's an underdog story, and we're going to look throughout this series at underdogs like Mo. And Noah, and and we're going to look at underdogs like Nehemiah and Esther. There are so many underdogs in the Bible, and and I I think about underdogs. And one of the underdogs I think about—it's not in the Bible—but one of my favorite underdogs is Rocky. How many of you watched the movie Rocky before? Yeah. How many of you watched all the Rockies before? Lift your hand. Yeah, come on. How many of you watched all the Rockies more than once? Raise your hand. One my fanatics said, all right, all right. Got some fanatic Rocky fans. Come on. Got to love Rocky. Da-na-na. Da-na-na. Come on, you know, you know you can't even box, but you just feel like, you know what I'm saying? You're like, I can't even box, but what's up? You know what I'm saying? Rocky will fire you up. Man, Rocky was fighting Apollo Creed and Rocky One and Rocky Two, and Apollo was the heavyweight champion of the world. He was called the master of disaster. They called him the king of sting, and Rocky was this unknown boxer, just, you know, kind of just goofing off in the ring and at a boxing joint. And 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 he was selected to fight the heavyweight champion of the world. And we love a story like that. And watching Rocky fight Apollo the underdog, we all love a good underdog story. But the difficult thing is this. The difficulty with underdog stories is when you're the underdog. That kind of changes the game. And I know what it's like to be an underdog. I... I am an underdog story, and I think about my life and what I've been through, and I share my life often, and many of you have heard, maybe you're new today, I grew up in a little small town called Iwoka, Oklahoma, and I grew up in a home of abuse and alcohol addiction and chaos and fear, and I'll never forget my mom and dad when they split up my junior year in high school, and pain and the tears and the confusion and the and the loneliness. I'll never forget just been broken and wonder if I could really make it in life and that's just the truth. I really wondered if I could if I could make it. I I went off to college my freshman year in the state of Arkansas on a football scholarship. And I just remember very clearly how I felt the emotions. I mean I can still feel those emotions today what I was feeling back then. I remember being in college, playing college ball my freshman year, that fall, and I remember thinking, man, I'm going to go back home. I can't do this. What am I, what am I thinking? I'm, I'm in college. I'm out of state, and I got a scholarship, but I can't do this. And I, I, I was ready to go back home. And I remember going back on a Friday night. I think, I think there was a bye week or something. I was home on a Friday night, and, and we woke up a high school football game. And I thought, man, this is home. I need to come back. I can't go get my education. I can't do that whole college thing. I'm going to just go. And there was a job I had in high school at, at Moore's IGA, and I, I sacked groceries and pushed them to people's cars. And I thought, I'm just going to go back and sack groceries, hang out. Everybody knows me in this town. Everybody loves me. I can't do this whole college thing. And I just felt like an underdog. I felt like I, could, I couldn't make it. And I was this close. I was this close to giving up on my dream of playing ball and getting my education. And my, my, my thinking was so small and so limited because I just felt like an underdog. And you know the truth of the matter is this. Most of you have been an underdog. Some of you are an underdog right now and, and you think about your life and you're like, I'm an underdog. And perhaps you're an underdog because your life has been filled with heartache. And pain, and and you just feel like an underdog. Maybe you grew up in a home of dysfunction, or or perhaps you're you're in a home of dysfunction now, and you just feel like an underdog. Perhaps you grew up in poverty, or or maybe you're in poverty now, and you just feel like an underdog. Maybe it's at your workplace, and and your department is the one that's underfunded, or your department is the one that's understaffed, and you're, you're expected to produce all of these results with with less finances and less and less staff and you just feel like an underdog. Maybe it's, it's you dropped out of high school or maybe you were in college and you, and you left college and you didn't get your degree and you feel like an underdog. Maybe you made a huge mistake in life and it set you back big time and you look at that setback, that mistake and you just feel like an underdog. Maybe you were fired from a job and you feel like an underdog The reality is we've all, I believe we've all been an underdog. And what I want to do today is I want to look at a story in the Bible. Let me tell you something about the Bible. The Bible is the inspired Word of God, and it's a book filled with underdog stories. There's one underdog story after another in the Bible. And I want us to study a guy in the Old Testament, and his name was Gideon. If you have a Bible with you or perhaps a smartphone and have a Bible app on your phone, look with me in Judges chapter 6. I'm going to spend the vast majority of my time teaching you today from Judges 6 and Judges chapter 7. But let's begin in Judges chapter 6 and pick up reading in verse number 1. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, let me kind of give you some background here. The Israelites, they were God's people. In the Old Testament, they were known as God's people. And and Israel had been in slavery for over 400 years to the nation of Egypt. And God brought Israel out of captivity, and he used an underdog named Moses. And Moses, Moses brought God's people out, and the Bible says they were now free. And the Israelites had settled into some land. They got their own land. They're planting crops and living and building houses. Life is good. And the Bible says that Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Israel started to disobey God. And they found themselves in slavery again to a group of people called the Midianites. And the Midianites treated Israel horribly. They ransacked their homes. They they, they, they destroyed their crops. They took their animals from them. And literally, the Israelite people were, were going hungry. They, they were starving. And the Bible says this in Judges chapter 6 and verse number 6. It said, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Israel was sick of this bondage they were in. And the scripture says they cried out for help. Lord, help us. Don't miss this. Whenever God wants to accomplish something on the earth, here's the way God always does it. Here it goes, point number one. God always chooses people. He always chooses people. I want you to notice this in Judges chapter 6, verse number 12. It says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him, to Gideon, and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? You see, when the people of Israel cried out to God because they were in bondage, you know what God did? God chose a person, and his name was God. Gideon, And he used him to deliver his people. Listen, whenever God wants to do something in a group of people, whenever God wants to do something in a city, whenever God wants to do something in a state, whenever God wants to do something in a nation, whenever God wants to do something in our world, whenever God wants to do something at a workplace, whenever God wants to do something in a family, whenever God wants to do something in a school, whenever God wants to do something in a university, God always chooses people, He always chooses a person to accomplish his purpose. You know what I believe today? I believe with all of my heart that God is choosing you to make a difference. He's choosing you. I believe right now with all of my heart God is stirring some of you right now. He's stirring your hearts to make a difference for a group of people. For some of you, God's stirring your heart to make a difference in perhaps this after-school program and and tutoring kids and helping them get their education and, and and to learn and how to read and write and arithmetic and God is stirring you right now for some of you God is stirring you perhaps to help a, a struggling single mom and to be there and and to be a lifeline for her or perhaps it's a it's a it's a young boy or a young girl who doesn't have a father figure in her life and God is stirring you about being a father figure about being a role model for for that child man perhaps God is stirring you about your workplace and about the department that's underfunded about 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 being understaffed in your department God is stirring you. You look at it and it looks chaotic and how are we going to ever get out of this in our workplace and God is stirring you with some ideas about how to make a difference in that department. God is stirring you with some ideas for our city about making a difference in her, helping and hurting, hurting people. God is stirring you perhaps for your school right now for your university that you attend he's stirring you about making a difference because whenever God wants to do something in this world he always chooses a person, and Israel is in bondage, and they're in slavery, and they cry out to God, Lord, help, and God reached down from heaven, and he chose a man named Gideon. There's a second thing that I want you to see. First of all, God always chooses people. Number two is this. God chooses and uses underdogs. He chooses and uses underdogs. Notice this in the story Gideon let's pick back up in verse number 12 in Judges 6 it says when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon he said the Lord is with you mighty warrior and God sees Gideon as a mighty warrior but notice Gideon's response in verse 13 he says pardon me Lord I like that Gideon gets all proper with the Lord (laughs) pardon me Lord And it's real funny if you know the story. He goes, pardon me, Lord. And then he gets all sarcastic and jabs the Lord. You know, that's what he does. He gets all all proper to throw a little jab. He says, pardon me, Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Gideon asked, why are we in this underdog situation if the Lord is with us? Listen, I think we've all been there before. When we're facing a situation, a trial, a dilemma, an underdog situation and we think to ourselves why is this happening what what's going on why am i going through this why all of this pain why are all these bad things happening and we start Start looking and we say, why am I in this underdog situation? And that's where Gideon is. Why is all this happening? Why am I in this situation? Why are, why are our people going through this? And he goes on to say, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? And Gideon says, yeah, I heard my grandparents and my great-grandparents talk about how God delivered his people and brought them out through the Red Sea. I mean, I heard about all that, but where is God now? Why isn't God helping us today? He goes on to say, but now the Lord has abandoned abandoned us and has and given us into the hand of Midian. He says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I'm choosing you to make a difference. And now Gideon says back, verse 15, pardon me, Lord. I like that. Pardon me, Lord. And then he gets a little sarcastic and throws another jab at the Lord. And he says... But how can I save Israel? I mean, you're calling me mighty warrior. You're saying, you choose me, and you want to send me. He says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. God says to Gideon, Gideon, there's a group of people that I want you to help. Gideon, I want to use you to make a difference and to lead my people out of bondage, out of captivity. Gideon, I want to use you. And God, Gideon looks at God and goes, What? You can't use me, look at me. God haven't you seen my family? I mean, in all the tribe of Israel, the Manasseh family, and then we're the, we're the weakest family. I mean, look at us. look at, look at us. We are broke-busted and disgusted. I mean, have you seen our family? Have you seen our family? And then God on top of that, I mean, we're the weakest family, and if you look at my family, I'm the least. You can't use me. God, I'm a, I'm a underdog. And some of you feel just like Gideon. God said, I want to use you. I want to use you to make a difference. I'm choosing you to make a difference. You go, God, 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 no, 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 Look, Look at me. Look look how I grew up. Look, look at the dysfunction I'm in now. Look at the mess I'm in right now. God, I'm a nobody. God, look, I'm weak can you use somebody like me look at my life look at me i'm the least god i'm an underdog and listen to me if you feel like an underdog today and you're looking around and you're going god you can't use me you're wrong Because God chooses and uses underdogs. If you feel like Gideon, if you feel like I'm the least, if you feel like I'm the weakest, if you feel like you're a nobody, if you feel like you're a loser, if you feel like I I just don't have it going on, I just don't have anything to offer, can I tell you, you're a prime candidate for God to choose and use in a powerful way because God loves to choose and use underdogs. He, does, he loves it. matter of fact, I want to flip over to the New Testament real quick, and you have your Bible look at First Corinthians chapter one and verse 26. I just want to reinforce what I'm teaching you today. God chooses and uses underdogs. And the scripture says in First Corinthians 1 verse 26, "Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful." or wealthy. When God called you, in other words, when God called you, when God chose you, when God saved you, the writer reminds us, most of us, you were not wise or powerful or wealthy, but it didn't stop God from choosing you. It didn't stop God from saving you. It didn't stop God from putting his hand on you. And he didn't do it because you were powerful or wealthy or wise. That wasn't why he chose you. Verse 27 said, instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. Anybody in here feel like a fool? Don't raise your hand, just wink at me. Come on, you feel you feel foolish? But look at man, I'm foolish. My situation's foolish. My life is foolish. I mean, it's just foolishness. And I want to know God chose. Notice that God chose. He chose. He was intentional about choosing the foolish things in order to shame those who think they are wise, and he chose, he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. In other words, God chose the weak. He chose the weak things. He wants to use the weak things. Verse 28, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, or or that would be the least. God chose the least And use them to bring to to nothing what, what the world considers important. Verse 29, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God loves to choose and use underdogs. Do you know why? Because when God chooses an underdog, when he chooses the least, when he chooses the despised, when he chooses the weak, and he uses them in a powerful way, they can't boast about it. They can't say, look at my resume, look at, look at my qualifications. No, 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 no. God will choose the least and the weakest and, and, and the despised, and he will use them in a powerful way because God didn't want anybody else to get the credit. He didn't want anybody else to say, look how awesome I am. God says, I want all the glory and the credit and the honor for myself, so I'll choose the least, I'll choose the weak. Gideon says, God, my family's the weakest, I'm the least. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect, because I choose the weak, and I choose the least, and I choose the foolish, and I use them for my glory. There's a third thing that I want you to see, a third thing. We're looking at underdogs, Gideon the underdog, number three. God loves when the odds are stacked against us. Now I'm going to mess up some of your theology right here. But can I tell you, and sometimes God will stack the deck against us himself. Sometimes God will stack the odds against us so he can get the glory. Let me show this to you. That's exactly what happened to Gideon. God loves when the odds are stacked against us. Judges chapter 7, verse number 2 says this, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. Now, in this story, Gideon had 32,000 soldiers. And he was going to battle against the Midianite army. And the Midianite army had 135,000 soldiers. And God looks at Gideon and says, you have too many soldiers. God, I got 32,000. I was thinking about going to get some more tomorrow. What? I got too many. What What do you mean? And he goes on to say this to Gideon. He says... I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. Or Israel would boast. We got it going on. Look at our resume. We're awesome. We're strong. They'll boast against me. My own strength, they'll say, my own strength has saved me. Verse 3, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. The odds are not good here. Now, this blows me away. The Bible says, God says, hey, 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 there's 32,000 against 135,000. Now, there's 135,000 of them, 32,000 of you. Whoever's scared, go on and leave. If you're scared, say you're scared. Go on, go on and leave. 22,000 left, and there were 10,000 dummies that stayed. I mean, come on. I'm just thinking about my life. I'm thinking about myself. If I'm in that story, I hate to admit it, but I'm probably one of the 22,000. I'm like, see y'all. Good luck. Because the odds are stacked against you, man. 10,000 against 135,000, the odds are stacked against you. It goes on to say, but the Lord said to Gideon, there's 10,000 men, soldiers. The Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. There's still too many men. Look at your neighbor and go, what? 10,000 is all we got, and it's too many? He says, take them down to the water, and I will fend them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And God's instructions were this. He says, you got too many men. I want the glory. I, I like to use underdogs. And God says, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the water, and I want the men, just let them drink. And whoever puts their face in the water and starts to drink, I don't want them. Whoever picks the water up with their hands and laps it like a dog and drinks the water, that's the men I'm taking into battle. I'm choosing those men. And I'm thinking, really, the nation of Israel, their future is in jeopardy. And the way you're gonna choose the fighting soldiers is by how these goofballs drink water. That's your plan, God. Okay, 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 okay. And the scripture says this, Judges chapter 7 and verse number 7, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, With 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. 9,700 men put their face in the water and drank from the water with their face. And only 300 men lifted the water up to their mouth and lapped and drank it like that. And did you notice God did not give Gideon the bigger number? Hey, God, no, 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 no. Don't you mean I get the 9,700? Send the 300 lapping like dogs to the house. God says, no, no, no. No, send the 9,700 home. And I want you to keep the 300 and go to war with the 300 men. I call that the odds being stacked. Against you, (laughs) and Gideon had three hundred men against one hundred and thirty-five thousand. Can I tell you, God loves when the odds are stacked against us. I think about my own life being an underdog and growing up with dysfunction and abuse and and chaos and low self-esteem, and I started preaching at the age of seventeen. I felt like God called me to preach, and so I started, and I went off to school and, and continued to preach and honor the Lord, and, and it was at the age of 25, I had been walking with the Lord seriously for eight years now, and Tiffany and I felt like the Lord was calling us to start a church, really, 25, yeah, never had been on staff at a church before. Didn't grow up in a pastor's home, didn't know anything about running a church, running a business, running an organization, had no idea, never had any staff, didn't know anything about running staff, didn't know anything, just 25. Moved to Oklahoma City in January of 2002. There was no organization, there was nobody saying, hey, we're writing you some big checks, we're going to help you out, no, no, it was us. (laughs) It was me and Tiffany and Brian Alicia, Rush moved here, still with us today, and and we did a mail-out, and we invited people to this new church. And by the way, you're already, the odds are stacked against you. You're 26. You don't know what you're doing. You never pastored. You only got 10 sermons because you travel full-time, and you just rotate those same messages everywhere you go. And change the title up in a couple of points. I'll bring the same back stuff next year. You won't know. It's been a year. It's been a year. You won't know. <laughs> and now I got to get a new message every week. So the odds are stacked against us. And then we go decide to start a church in the movie theater. Well, most of y'all thought the devil lives in the movie theater, and so do rats. Amen. You didn't know that, did you? Oh, we saw a couple of them. I'm not going to tell you which one. I'm not going to tell you anymore. Amen. I'm done. I'm done. Started in the movie theater. Sloped floors for kids' ministry. Odds stacked against us. And 65 people showed up on Mother's Day, of 2002. A little depressed, a little discouraged. And honestly wondering if it was going to work. Is this going to really work? That summer, we began to run 40 and 50 people and thinking, is this going to work? I'm, I'm traveling full-time still to underwrite the church and to be able to pay the bills and pay myself. And I didn't take a salary for the church for over a year, about, about a year, and didn't come full-time on to, to church until uh, two years into the church, just traveling, underwriting the church, trying to make it happen, trying to just make ends meet, trying to make the church go. And I'll never forget, it was in July, we had our first Sunday of 75 people show up to People's Church. Oh, my, can I tell you. Running around the building when the Holy Ghost, running around. Yo, 75 people, yes. Thank you, Jesus. 75 people showed up. 75 people showed up. But you know what? I still didn't know if it was going to make it. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to really happen. And can I tell you, I'll never forget. It was the very first Sunday of August. I'm 27 now, my wife's 25, getting ready to turn, uh, t- uh, t- 24, getting ready to turn 25, and we had a hundred, over a hundred people show up the first Sunday of August, and can I tell you what, we didn't just run around on the Holy Ghost around the theater, we high-fived, we belly-bumped, we chest-bumped, come on, we was break-dancing, locking, and pop. Hey, I mean, we was, hey, hey. Hey, I think this thing might make it. Hey, I might, it might make it. And we never fell under 100 people after that Sunday in August. You see, God has a way, God has a way of taking somebody not qualified, no experience, broken, abused, little country boy from Iwoka, hauling hay and taking somebody who's an underdog. And putting his hand on their life. And say, nobody's going to get the credit for this. Nobody's going to get the glory for this but me. And can I tell you, God loves to choose and use underdogs. I'm talking to some right now that don't feel qualified, that don't have the credentials, wondering can you do it. And I'm telling you, Gideon, I know you feel like the least. I know you feel like the weakest. But I love to use and choose underdogs for my glory. There's a fourth thing I want you to see today, a fourth thing, underdogs. I'm talking to some underdogs today. Number four is this. God always asks asks us to trust and obey his uncommon logic. Trust and obey his uncommon logic. I want you to notice this in Judges chapter 7 and verse number 8. It says, so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300. In other words, Gideon actually trusted and obeyed God, and he sent the 9,700 home. He goes on to say, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. Now get the picture here. 300 soldiers versus 135,000. How many of you know that's not logical? That doesn't make sense. That is flat out ridiculous. But Gideon trusts and obeys God's uncommon logic. But the story gets even more ridiculous. Check this out in Judges chapter 7 and verse 16. It says this, Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in their hands, in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Now this really doesn't make any sense at all. There's 300 soldiers, just 300, against 135,000. And God says, Leave your weapons. Leave your knives, leave your spears, leave your bazookas, leave your machine guns. And here's what I want you to take in the battle. God says, I want you to take a jar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get your, get your peanut butter jars and clean them out. Take your jar. He says, take a torch, put it inside, take a flashlight, and, and then I want you to take a trumpet. And go on down there and fight 135,000 men. <laughs> Hello. Really? Really, God? 300 of us? We thought you were going to drop the atomic bomb or something. You want us to go with a flashlight, a peanut butter jar, and a trumpet that I don't even know how to play. Really? Okay. Can I tell you something, People's Church? We serve a God who will sometimes allow the odds to be stacked against us. And he says, trust my uncommon logic. I know you only have 300 men. I know you only have a trumpet and a peanut butter jar and a flashlight. I know it, but I want you to trust and obey my uncommon logic because I use underdogs who will trust and obey my uncommon logic. And guess what they did? Those three hundred soldiers went, and they surrounded the Midianite camp. And they surrounded them, and they lit their torches inside the jars and lifted them up. And they started blowing their trumpets. We get ready to die, bro. This is not good. They will know where we are now. Don't blow so loud. And the Bible says that the Midianite army looked up and they saw they were surrounded. It was only 300 soldiers, but they thought there's got to be more. And God sent the, the midnight army into confusion. And the scripture says they begin to turn on each other. And the midnight army began to fight against one another and destroy each other. And that day with 300 soldiers and, a, and some peanut butter jars and some trumpets and a flashlight, God gave them the victory because they trusted his uncommon logic. Underdogs, I want you to hear me today. You need to know that God's got your back. I don't know your situation. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know what you're going through, but I know we serve a God of the underdogs. We serve a God who can beat impossible odds. We serve a God who can defeat 135,000 with 300 and some peanut butter jars. We serve a God of the underdogs. I close with this question. Underdogs, In what area of your life do you need to trust and obey God's uncommon logic? Victory will be yours. What area? Maybe it's with your kids. And you're trying to do it the world's way. You're disobeying what God's word says. And maybe you need to start obeying God's uncommon logic and trusting it. Maybe it's with your marriage. And things are rocking and everybody's saying give up on your marriage. I don't even know why you're still in this thing. But you're saying, i got to obey and trust God's uncommon logic and hang in this thing and get some counseling, get some help. Maybe it's with your career and things don't look real promising and things don't look real good. And you started a business and the business is not doing what you thought it would do. And, and you're thinking, man, I just might as well give up. I might as well just quit. I might as well throw in the towel. But you have to trust. And you're thinking, man, I sense the Holy Spirit. I sense the Lord. Trust his uncommon logic. Maybe it's with your finances, and, and then your finances are thinking, man, I'm just going to do my own thing, and things are getting tight, you know, I, I don't know about all this, and, and you know, I just got to hoard, 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 and yet you got to trust in common, God's uncommon logic and tithe and return the tithe and give generosity, but yet people want to trust their own wisdom instead of God's uncommon logic. What area of your life, underdog, weak, the least, do you need to trust God's uncommon logic and obey it so that God can take an underdog and use them where only he gets the glory. He's a God of the underdog.